You're listening to Embarrassing Family, where we share our weirdest, wackiest, and wildest family stories. Hello, everyone. We have Stuart Allard. He is our guest today. He is a comedian from the Windy City of Chicago. So, Stuart, I hear you have some embarrassing family members. So tell me, which one is the cringiest out of all of them? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say my, my father had uh, a number of quirks. Oy. I wouldn't quite call him a hoarder, but he was something who always like kept things. Like I mean, he was maybe just like a little bit of a pack rat. If he found an interesting magazine article or newspaper or something like that, he would keep that entire section of the paper or he'd hold on to that entire magazine. And I think at one point we basically had an entire room in our basement that was just his all of his papers. We would just refer to him as his papers. And he also kept these papers in the trunk of his car too. He drove like a, I think it was like a early 2000s model Grand Marquis. Well, I suppose if there's anything that's particularly amusing about it, it's that uh, my father passed away almost five years ago and I am still cleaning out his papers. Wow. It's just really been a challenge sifting through magazines from, you know, 35, 40 years ago. Yikes, that old. Yes, I mean, we're, we're talking about some magazines going back to like the, maybe the early 1970s. Yowza. If there's anything that he'd like to collect as far as newspapers were concerned, it was the travel section of the, the Sunday paper. Uh, that's not really a thing anymore, but until maybe about the early to mid 2000s, the Sunday newspaper, we had the Tribune and the Sun-Times here in Chicago, uh, would have like a pull-out travel section and he would hold on to that because he was fascinated by travel. He loved to travel. But even then it's, like those travel sections get pretty thick. Um, and he had a number of magazines too. He had very, very interest as far as magazines were concerned. I mean, having every issue of National Geographic is pretty commonplace for a man of his generation. But he also subscribed to like travel and leisure. He subscribed to European travel and life. He considered the stock market a hobby. So he collected a bunch of like financial magazines, like Money, Fortune, Business Week. I think there used to be a magazine called Financial Report or something like that. Financial World. It was called Financial World. The magazine folded sometime in the early 90s. A magazine called Financial World actually ran into financial issues. Gotcha. That's, well, that's very ironic. You think they know how to manage their finances better. Right. But it's just remarkable that I, myself, and uh, my mother and my sister both underestimated how much of a project it is to kind of sift through everything. Like, I mean, because we tried cleaning stuff out when he was still alive. He had a bunch of health issues the last two or three years of his life. And was not able to access that particular room in our basement. So there was some cleaning that we had to do that was kind of on the down low. But even then, it was like, oh, no, 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 There's this great article on page 44. <laughs> I need that. I, I, I want to get take advantage of a subscription opportunity that expired in January 1990. <laughs> and then on top of that, and this is kind of where it appears in the border territory, we also discovered that he would bring candy home and he completely forgot that he had brought that candy home. Wow. He had this thing for like hard candy, suckers, stuff like that. Kind of the typical old man stuff. Like not like Weathers Originals, but like those like little mints. Yeah. And we discovered those after he passed away. So they were just sitting there for like years? Yeah. Buried under magazines and newspapers. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And he also used to hold on to napkins from fast food places. And he totally forgot he had those napkins, I assume. I would say that was probably the maybe the grossest part of it. I, I suppose he also had some hygiene issues, too. I remember he, like, this is someone who really swore by sponge baths. Like, he showered maybe once a week. And he was a heavier man, too. I mean, this I mean this man would perspire. For as long as I can remember, at least 35 pounds overweight. 
it sounds like I'm taking a massive crap on my father, but I mean, we had a lot in common. You know, I feel like I've, I've uh, inherited his love for reading, but at the same time, it's, you know, a lot of ways kind of a cautionary tale. Right. You know, because now we live in an age where if there's an article that I liked, you know, I could just put a bookmark on Google Chrome or something like that. And it's not taking up space in this one room in our basement or anything like that. Oh, another thing was that he would... um after he would use like a coffee mug after he had his morning coffee or something like that, he would like just leave like the mug on the table because if he was going to put maybe like another drink in there, he wanted to retain the taste of the coffee or something like that. Whoa. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Like when he wasn't paying attention, I would just put that coffee mug or that glass or whatever and put it in the dishwasher. It's a very, it's a very interesting quirk. Yes. Did this affect any of your friends? Like when they went to your house and they saw like this big mess, was that a, was that ever a big thing? Uh, well, I like to think that for a time we kind of kept the mess hidden. Okay. We had an unfurnished basement and we basically just had one corner of the basement that was just all his stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff would collect dust and collect mold. And, uh, we ended up moving out of that house. Uh, I guess it would have been my freshman year of college around 2004. And then we actually had like a larger house and we had a fully furnished basement. And we basically decided that this one room in the corner would basically be the room where we just keep all my dad's crap. Gotcha. So you you were able to keep it all hidden away. Yes. And even then, I mean, he also had papers in his room as well. And we that room also doubled as like our, uh, how would I put it, uh, computer room, office, study. You know, so there are papers on the floor in there as well. So we had to make sure that if we had guests over, we had to make sure doors were closed. I'm going to say it's a good thing nothing caught fire. Oh my God. I'm so grateful we never had a fire or anything like that. The house would have gone down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or at least we would have wiped out like one section of the house. My father was more concerned about like floods and stuff like that. Like the papers would get soggy. Oh, no. So it would ruin his precious, his precious magazines. That's what he was worried about. Oh, yes. Or his precious newspaper article about 12 things you could sightsee in Iowa in 1990. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid any of those magazines and none of the actual, you know, your family or anything, anything valuable. Yes, right, right. I think it was my... His sister, that would be my aunt. She's the one who has most of the family heirlooms on her side of the family. Uh, I don't think we really had anything. Well, only just a handful of things in our house. I mean, because I think at one point she lived with them. They had an apartment together. Oh, that must have been fun. Yes. Um, Actually, like a couple towns over from where I grew up. And I can't imagine that it was much different living with him, you know, when he was younger, before I was born, before he met my mother. She probably had just like no space. He was probably just like cramped up in a in a corner of the apartment and all the paper and all the magazines and all the stuff was just everywhere. She probably just had like a like a square foot to herself, right? I'm um, I'm almost certain it was that way. Yes. Oh god. I got to ask. So um if any any of the magazines your dad had, were any of them dirty magazines? Yes, they were. Oh god. <laughs> he subscribed to Playboy for maybe about oh, I don't know, maybe about 15 years. I had an uncle that subscribed pretty much from when he was 16, and then he ended up outliving his, well, his subscription ended up outliving him. He only lived to be 52. My father, however, lived to be into into his mid-70s. But yeah, for a time he subscribed to that magazine, and then I, at some point, maybe he noticed that I was kind of looking at the magazines, or maybe he thought that Uh he got a little too close to me physically or something, so mom asked him to, you know, cancel the subscription. That must have been fun for your for your education. I look just seeing like a random Playboy just lying around, just picking it up. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I knew what exactly was in that black wrapper. So it seems like uh, seems like it wasn't all bad, uh, you know, having your dad as a hoarder. You get to get some free Playboys out of it. Uh, yep, yep. And uh, the thing is that those, those Playboys are actually in good shape, and I'm trying to... Well, I'm on the verge of selling them on eBay right now. Oh, nice. Cashing off your dad's uh, your dad's collection. Yep, I mean, because I inherited, inherited being the keyword here, my father's old magazines as well as my uncle's. So there's some overlap. There's some multiple copies of the same issue. Pretty soon I'm going to put some of those on eBay. If Hoarders was on, I mean, when your dad was was around, do you think he would be a prime candidate? I would say he would be under consideration. Okay, yeah, because I've seen a few episodes and they're really bad. Like, I saw one where there was just like a mound of poop from the toilet that just went like straight up to the ceiling. Good God. Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. Um, it's not like we had like crap up to the ceiling, but my father would just put like things in boxes and paper bags. And it was just, it was just, I would say, uh, loosely organized, I guess is the best way I can put it. I could just go through a bag like the, when I was doing cleaning process and I could just tell everything that was put in this bag sometime around say 2003, 2004, just by the contents. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a time capsule basically. Essentially. It's like, oh, here's the 2003 magazines. Here's the 2004, 2005. It's just like you're going back to your past. It's like, you know, if you grow up and you put like those things on the wall that measure your height and you see how tall you've grown. It's like that for but for like years. Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, you know, it's like if you cut down a tree and count the rings. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect analogy. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, it was like my mother was kind of like in kind of like a tire war with my dad with just his this whole being, I guess. I mean, part of it was that my father was a depression baby. I mean, he was born in 1937. His parents were just scraping by. I mean, they ended up doing pretty well for themselves. My, uh, his father, my paternal grandfather was a regional vice president for state firm insurance. He started out as like a, just, as just like traveling salesman, you know, pretty much living off commission. And, you know, he, you know, worked his tail off and worked his way up to, you know, again, regional VP. But at the same time, that that kind of their whole ethic of, you know, not wasting anything, not squandering anything, you know, not putting anything away, you know, everything has it can be repurposed. I think that that, that mindset kind of stuck with my dad. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a product of his time, you know, growing up in the Depression, you know, you're I'm sure you're valuing things more and, you know, you're less inclined to throw things away. So I think that's kind of interesting how it affected that mindset, not just of him, but just like of a whole, you know, generation. Yep. Waste not, want not. Yeah, exactly. So um, I know you said you had a few other uh, embarrassing family members. Um, could you tell me about some of those? Who? Okay. So as for my mom, I mean, I got along relatively well with my dad, but I did have a tendency to kind of clash with my mother. My mother has also passed. I guess what I remember most about my mom is that she was a little, I guess we could say like a technological Luddite. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. I have parents who are like that too. My mother would have been perfectly happy living on a farm if it weren't for the fact that she was always sick as a kid. Our great uncles actually had a farm on her side of the family, and you know, just 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 too much of a liability trying to do like stuff on the farm. It just because you couldn't carry anything, you know, just you couldn't keep track of things. She could be a little like a little flighty and spacey at times too. But I digress. I mean, this is someone who, honest to God, was saying like in the mid 1990s that computers are just a toy; they're a fad. They'll be gone in a few years. They're just too expensive. And it got to a point where 
because I was, I, I was in, I was late grade school or junior high at the time. It was getting to a point where they wanted, well, my teachers wanted all of my projects typed and everything. And she couldn't understand, Hey, I've had, I have an electric typewriter. <laughs> and she's a typewriter. And then she talked to my teachers about this and it was like, no, it's, we're kind of past the point of electric typewriters. I think this would have been late 97, early 98. We caved and we finally bought like a PC. It was an IBM, if I recall correctly, that operated on Windows 95. Because Windows 95 was the new thing at the time. Windows 98 didn't come out until later that year. Yeah. But at the same time, she refused to pay for internet because it was just she thought it would have been too much of a distraction. And also, you know, didn't want to do upgrades or anything like that. So, you know, we had Windows 95 on that computer up until maybe about... Until she finally caved on that, and we finally got internet, I want to say, in fall 2002. So after she basically lost the whole war with, like, computers and the internet, it, you know, became came to a point uh, when I was, like, in college where it became necessary for me to have, like, a cell phone. Like, it was just um, a certain couple of things encountered where it occurred, I should say, where it made sense to have, like, some way of, like, communicating with people where I didn't have to, like, run over to the nearest pay phone or something like that. So I think it was my 21st birthday. I finally got my first cell phone and I had mixed feelings about it. I mean, but at the same time, I kind of grew to love to have a cell phone, you know, because initially I was just using it for emergencies. But because um, I think my first phone was an LG. Then I had a Razor. Then I had a Palm Pre. And obviously, you know, with each passing couple of years, you know, these phones, you know, the technology improves, you know, you have yeah. better cameras, you know, better Internet access, all of this. Uh, better video quality and again my mother being the being the luddite uh was convinced that cell phones were just expensive toys i think my sister ended up giving her a cell phone but she had like the most like basic phone where she really only used it in case there was like just an absolute emergency uh she had it turned off i would say three quarters of the time and then on airplane mode the other 25 percent so even if we tried to call her if she was out or something like that she wouldn't have picked up but she didn't seem to you know grasp the, the fact that, hey, you know, you could, I mean, there's all these things that you can do with cell phones. I mean, and she just wasn't from that generation. She just didn't seem to understand it. On top of the fact that, you know, it's like she also had some issues with her vision. So it's not like she would have been able to see what was on the phone anyway. I'm not really sure uh, if there's really any anything funny or amusing about that. It just, it was just, it was just something that it, it was just an area where I kind of clashed with my mother. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, my parents, I mean, they're definitely not as bad, but, you know, my dad, he's, you know, he's a doctor, so mm. he's always struggling now with the with the, all the Zoom appointments. So, like, every time a Zoom meeting comes up, he's always freaking out. He's like, uh, what do I do? How do I press this? What do I click? So I basically mm. have to be his IT guy. That's one of the that's one of the benefits they have about me living with them now that we're in the pandemic that I can I, I give them free IT service. I'm like, what would you guys do if I wasn't here? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, um, and uh, if my mother were still alive, I mean, she would have been immunocompromised. I mean, she, it, yeah, you know, living with her during the pandemic would have been, definitely been a big headache for my sister and I. Again, like I'd have to explain how Zoom works. And she couldn't understand, why can't I just make a phone call? <laughs> we had a landline in our house until maybe about two weeks after she passed away. Like we still had a landline uh, as of June 2017. Yeah, she was still very adamant about like making phone calls writing handwritten letters. You know, I mean, I see how, you know, there's a certain charm to it, how quaint it is, but I mean, like typing an email on my phone and I have to explain to her that some people want a response in five seconds, not in five days. Yeah. 
can't really trust the mail anymore. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's like I would ask her, why would, should I communicate with smoke signals? <laughs> you know, use some Morse code or something? Semaphore? It's what's the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yep. I mean, I guess a lot of that was her upbringing. Again, her uncles had this farm in uh, Coldwater, Michigan, which is like in the, the uh, south central part, I'd say, about an hour due north of South Bend, Indiana. And I think that was kind of what she aspired to. But, and she also came from a family of people that, you know, they worked with their hands. Her father was a mechanic. Her brother was a mechanic and a custodian. I mean, if I, I go through some of the men in her family, there's a kind of a, bit of a pattern in farmers. Very rural kind of blue collar jobs. Yes. Uh, Polish mountain people. <laughs> was your dad more? I mean, I know he loves his magazines. Was he a little more technologically savvy? Um, A little bit, a little bit. I mean, I kind of had to teach him how to use the internet. There are certain things he picked up on, other things he didn't. Um, I discovered that the maybe the three things that he knew how to look up on Google were stock market quotes, baseball scores, and Filipino porn. <laughs> Filipino porn? Filipino porn. Um, I did not know until after he passed away. Oh, God. Well, I knew he was married before. To a Filipino? And he knew some Tagalog. What's Tagalog? Tagalog. Uh, it's the language of the Philippines. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing it. Tagalog. Okay. Well, it, there was also an age difference between my parents. There was like 12 years or something like that. And my father was married for about a year or so in the mid 70s to a um, a woman he met when he was stationed in Manila. He was in the army and then he was in the U.S. courier service. And it was an older woman too. And I, I just don't think they ever made the marriage work. So he just went like the complete opposite. He just went younger. Yeah. He went from 12 years older to 12 years younger. Very, very nice range. Uh, yes. Yes. And I, I guess he always had that, uh, for lack of a better word, a taste for rice. <laughs> he had yellow fever. Uh, yes. You could say that. Yes. <laughs> so that's interesting. But you're, I'm, I'm presuming your mom was white, right? Yes. Yes. Polish. Uh, mostly Polish on my mom's side. So he was just like, I'm giving that up. I'm just, I'm just sticking with my, my own race from now on. I, I suppose. Yes. I don't think he was uh, too discriminatory in that regard. I, I mean, it's more hung up on the fact that, you know, after all this time, my dad still had this thing for, you know, hooking up naked Filipino woman. Oh God. Did your mom ever know? I don't doubt that she knew. Again, she never, she almost never touched that computer. I think she was almost terrified of it. But yeah, there were a couple of instances where I would just walk in. I mean, it's not like he has pants down or anything like that, but God forbid, but he would, you know, be glancing at scantily clad women from Southeast Asia. I'm hoping you don't have any, uh, you don't find out you have any Asian uh, half siblings. For the longest time, I thought I did. But I guess when my father was married to his first wife, she was already in menopause at that point. So it wouldn't have happened. Okay. Yeah, because he would have been like in his late thirties, and she would have been pushing fifty. All right, so yeah. uh, so 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 no no surprises there. Yeah, I mean, there was a part of me that you know thought maybe there was like something that my dad kept under wraps. He almost never talked about that first marriage. I found out about the first marriage almost by accident because uh, his first wife wanted to stay in communication, and my mother completely objected to that. Her name was Linda. Linda would mail letters, uh, you know, a couple times a year, handwritten letters, just asking how. Uh, he was doing, I, I don't know if he ever replied or anything like that. I, I have, I have a couple of those letters, but yeah, the, the, just the very mention or allusion to Linda made my mom upset. Yeah. I can't imagine, um, having a, having a, 
your ex-wife always contacting you. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, even if it was just a couple times out of the year, you know, just like they had an extra international postage because it would come from the Philippines. And I have no idea if Linda's still alive. I think the last time we heard from her that I know of was around 2010, 2011. I mean, this woman would now be in her mid-90s. Yeah. So um, before we go, I know you say you're uh, part of a uh, improv duo and you do weekly Zoom shows. Could you tell me uh, a little more about those? Uh, As a matter of fact, it's twice a week. Oh, twice a week. Okay. So bi-weekly. Gotcha. So I'm one half of an improv duo called Flower Shop Bangers. We have been performing together uh, since spring 2013. And we've been hosting uh, Zoom comedy variety shows. More on that in a second. Uh, pretty much since the beginning of the pandemic, we did maybe like five or six shows in a bar. We were producing the show in a bar, um, up until the pandemic had started. So we only got to do like five shows in person the entire 2020 calendar year. Cause it was like, we called the show some regular Sundays because it really was like almost every other Sunday. Sometimes we just take do three Sundays out of five. It varied sometimes consecutive weeks. It would be varying. So hence the name. And initially that first uh, show was just kind of like a dry run to see if we even do a show like this on Zoom. I mean, I was able to book guests and get everything together and, you know, be about 48 hours. And then after the show, my partner, Dan Anderson, asked, you know, I think that went well. You want to do another one? And I was like, next Sunday? He was like, well, you could try to do another one this week. I mean, it's not like we're fighting for time in the bar or anything. So we... You know, again, 48 hours notice, put together a second show that Wednesday. So one thing led to another, and we just kept going. We call our show, depending on the day of the week, semi-regular Sundays or semi-regular Wednesdays. At this point, the name essentially means nothing. And initially, we were booking uh, comedians and improvisers that we knew from Chicago, or at least people that used to be in Chicago or now, you know, scattered across the country, New York, Los Angeles, what have you. And through that, we started networking and um, we've been booking uh, Zoom comics pretty much across the country. Uh, We try to incorporate improv into the show. It has been admittedly a struggle to book improv teams to perform in our show. But I like to think that we have maintained some variety. We've had musical guests. Um, The show that we're going to have on December 30th has a a magician. Oh, wow. I've been wanting to book a magician for like the longest time. Uh, so I'm just I'm just absolutely thrilled that we're going to see some uh, some sleight of hand. We've had at least one person uh, read poetry. It's uh, we've done interviews. I've, at least I've done interview segments, you know, just people who have like stuff to promote, just people that I find fascinating. It's a pretty eclectic show. And I uh, hope you all tune in where it's every Sunday and Wednesday at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. And the show goes on for about uh, it could be anywhere from an hour to 90 minutes. Nice. That sounds like a lot of fun and definitely a great way to keep people uh, entertained, especially during this uh, during this crazy time. Yeah. So also in 2013, I launched a comedy page. Basically, like it's basically a Facebook humor page uh, where I post uh, late night style monologue jokes, you know, kind of the, you know, the set of punchline, set of punchline thing that you'd hear like in the first five minutes of watching like Conan or Jimmy Fallon or something like that. And well, initially it was just I would post occasionally post jokes and status updates. And then someone I knew through IO Chicago named uh, Cesar Jaime suggested that I contribute jokes to a page for IO theater alumni. And then at some point he was going to spin me off to my own page. I think I lasted about a month on that page, but he was able to, you know, launch a Facebook page for me. And then he basically gave me the reins. 
It hasn't grown as quickly as I would like to, but at this point, I just sell, I just passed 1,800 likes. Wow. It'd be pretty nice if I made uh, 2,000. That'd be a nice, you know, nice round number. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get milestones. Because at this point a year ago, I think it was only at, at about 1,500. So it's growing. Uh, I like to think that it's uh, like the like the Flower Shop Bangers remote shows that it's been one of those things where a little bit of positive word of mouth goes a long way. Yeah, well, I think it's a good goal for 2021, getting getting up there, getting that getting that nice uh, hitting that nice milestone. Oh yeah, for sure. It's uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a labor of love for me. I mean, for me, it's it's uh, it's been uh, kind of a struggle for me to uh, be creative and uh, you know, kind of put pen to paper, especially with everything that's you know going on right now. You know, just coming up with six, maybe seven jokes a week has been a motivator. I have certain, you know, liberties that, you know, say the average late night writer may not necessarily have. I mean, I I only occasionally cuss on my, in my jokes, but even then, you know, it's like, you know, I might touch upon a topic that a show on NBC or CBS is not going to touch. I think it's definitely a good idea to, you know, like to focus on the humor focus, especially with all this, all this craziness going on. And so I, I think it's great that you're doing that. And I definitely, you know, look forward to reading it and seeing some of your, uh, some of your eye observations. Oh, please do. Uh, Facebook.com slash Stu News. Guys, uh, you hear that? Uh, go to Stu News. Uh, give him a like, get him to that milestone. He really, really help him out. And uh, check out his, uh, his improv group too. Um, where can they, uh, where can they find more about that? At Facebook.com slash Flower Shop Bangers. All one word. Excellent. Well, Stuart, uh, you've been a great guest. Um, I hope you reach that milestone and I hope you have a great new year. Absolutely. Likewise. The pleasure was mine, Dave. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Would you like to be a guest? Please send a story about your embarrassing family member to embarrassingfamily at gmail.com.